Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. This season, we're going through the AP Biology curriculum one chapter at a time. And this week, we are on chapter 17, titled From Gene to Protein. It rhymes, so that means it's fucking cool. Basically, this chapter is the other members of Destiny's Child. If last week about DNA was all about Beyonce, this is everybody else that was actually better, but less of a diva. So that's what we're talking about this week, really focusing on RNA. So getting right into it, what in the grand scheme of things, what we're focusing on is gene expression, which is how we have DNA directing the synthesis of proteins. Okay, so DNA, turning it into proteins, that's our gene expression. Um, couple ideas behind how this whole thing works. There's the old idea that every gene coded for one enzyme, that kind of, you know, isn't that great. And the main idea that's believed now is that every gene codes for one RNA molecule, which can be turned into a couple different things that we're going to get into. But moral of the story is everything starts in DNA, turns into RNA, and eventually gets translated into protein. So we're going to talk about two processes here. We're going to talk transcription. We're going to talk translation. They happen in that order. Um, transcription is DNA to RNA. Translation is RNA to protein. Now in a prokaryote, like a bacterium, all this shit's just happening in the cytoplasm because that's all the fuck there is. I realize I haven't sworn enough in this episode. We're already two and a half minutes in and I've barely sworn. So fuck that shit. Let's get the swear train out of the station. So prokaryotes, because all they have is cytoplasm, transcription, translation, they both happen in the cytoplasm. In eukaryotes, things with a nucleus transcription is happening in the nucleus because that's where the fucking DNA is. And then translation's happening in the cytoplasm because that's where the fucking ribosomes are. I think today's episode is going to be brought to you by the letter fuck. I just feel like using that word a whole bunch. So let's fucking do it. Okay, comparing, contrasting, DNA and RNA. Um, like I said, DNA is Beyonce. RNA is Michelle and Kelly and everybody else in Destiny's Child. I know nothing else about Destiny's Child. I know there's a fourth member got kicked out. That's all I know. But this isn't about Destiny's Child. This is about DNA and RNA. So they are both nucleic acids made of nucleotides. A lot of them, um, a lot of the nucleotides are exactly the same. They've got the adenine. They have the cytosine, they've got the guanine. They both have a five carbon sugar. It's a different five carbon sugar, more on that in just a second. Um, both have phosphate groups. They're used in this gene expression stuff, but the differences are pretty substantial. DNA is typically double-stranded while RNA is single. That five carbon sugar I talked about in DNA is deoxyribose, that's what the fucking D stands for, and the fucking R in RNA stands for ribose. It's a different sugar. Very similar sugar, but it's a different fucking sugar. 
DNA has thymine as one of its nucleotides. RNA doesn't. RNA has uracil. DNA, there's pretty much one kind, and there's a shit ton of RNA. There's pre-mRNA, there's mRNA, there's tRNA, rRNA, um, snRNA, srpRNA, RNAi, ribozymes. Those are just eight roles or eight different types of RNA that exist. Where with DNA, there's you're just one thing. You're a one-trick pony. You store some information. Hooray for fucking you. RNA is the one that gets shit done. Just like I said, it's the Kelly and the Michelle. Without Kelly and Michelle and Destiny's Child, there would be no Beyonce. Just saying. If you can't tell, I don't really. I'm not the biggest fan of Beyonce. But Beyonce, if you're listening, um, I'm sorry. I love you. You're my favorite. Um, you tweet out the link for the show to get all your followers to listen because that'd be great. Thanks, B. Do they call her B? It's Bay, isn't it? I don't know. Who gives a shit? Genetic code. Back to that. So, in DNA, in order to get RNA, we've got to transcribe it. We're just copying it down. It's the same language. It's the language of nucleotides to the language of nucleotides. We have one strand of DNA that's our template strand. We are going to make a complementary mRNA strand. Um, we're going to get into the details. Um, let's do it right now. We'll come back to codons and shit. Um, codons aren't really that important until we get to translation anyways. So, um, the big player in transcription is RNA polymerase. It's an enzyme. That's ASE at the end. It means it's an enzyme. The rest of its name tells you what it does. It makes a polymer of RNA. So in addition to adding nucleotides um, in a 5' prime to 3' prime direction, what it does, it also separates the strands and does a bunch of shit that way. So there's a couple stages to transcription. I'm just making sure I'm not saying translation. We're talking transcription still. Um, and it's a little bit different in bacteria and eukaryotes, prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Um, in prokaryotes, the polymerase will bind directly to a promoter region, which is just upstream of DNA, of the gene. It is, the, promo, the promoter is DNA but just upstream of the piece of DNA, the transcriptional unit that we're looking at. And in eukaryotes like us, this is no shit. I'm not about to play a joke on you. It's actually called this. In eukaryotes, we've got to find the ta-ta box. <laughs> it's just fun. Ta-ta, uh, T-A-T, T -A -T, and then like four adenines. So thymine, adenine, thymine, adenine, 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 adenine. That is upstream from the promoter so it's like the promoter's promoter and it kind of signals where RNA polymerase can come in um, and then bind to the promoter so it's a little bit more complicated it allows for a little bit um, more controlled transcription so we can monitor stuff at the transcription level in eukaryotes a little bit easier than in prokaryotes but once RNA polymerase binds to the promoter region 
whether it's prokaryote or eukaryote, um, it is both going to untwist DNA. It will add the nucleotides to the three prime end, following the rules of base pairing. A gets a U, that's the only difference. Um, and then it will rewind the DNA once it's done. So where in DNA replication, we had all these players, we had helicase and ligase and DNA polymerase and everything. We don't need nearly as many for transcription. RNA polymerase is able to do the whole thing by its entire fucking self because it's a winner. And then once it gets to the end of the transcription unit, um, there's a terminator sequence and that's where the polymerase detaches and you have mRNA. In prokaryotes, it's complete. That mRNA is ready to go get translated, ready to use. In eukaryotes, we have to edit it. Okay, so we have pre-mRNA in a eukaryote at this stage. And what happens to that pre-mRNA is we add the five prime cap. It's um, guanine added to the end and to the three prime section of it, we add the poly A or polyadenine tail, which is just a shit ton of adenines there um, that basically help protect it, um, protect that chunk of mRNA because it does and it will have to move into the cytoplasm, which is a little, uh, a little hostile towards some DNA and RNA. So it's extra layer of protection. And we also will go through RNA editing or RNA splicing, where we have these sequences within our pre-mRNA. Pre I don't know why I keep fucking screwing that up. Pre-mRNA. It's not hard. Let's get with it. But there's chunks in it called introns and exons. And the introns are going to get removed and the exons are going to get joined together. And it sounds a little backwards where the introns get cut out and the exons stay in. But you've got to think about it in reference to the nucleus. Because in order for this piece of pre-mRNA to turn into something productive, turn something useful, it's going to have to leave the nucleus and go get translated in the cytoplasm. So the exons, the things that stay in the pre-mRNA, they're actually going to get to exit the nucleus and become a polypeptide. The introns that get removed, those stay in the nucleus, they get recycled, nothing fucking happens to them, they're a waste of shit. So we have these... Um, little chunks of RNA and some protein and we call them SNRPs again real fucking name SNRP S-N-R-N-P small nuclear ribonucleoproteins SNRPs and what the SNRPs do is they make this structure called a spliceozyme and it is responsible for splicing the pre-mRNA exons together. It removes the introns and it joins the exons together um, and it is responsible for the RNA spicing. Now the reason we go through all this work of cutting out the introns, hooking the exons together, um, it allows us to produce different combinations of exons so we can have one poly, one pre-mRNA made and we can get multiple polypeptides from it that are very closely related, but slightly different. So it just adds 
the opportunity for more diversity. So you can get more shit from one chunk of DNA than you could without all this editing stuff. But now that brings us to translation. And what translation is, it is going to be taking that mRNA that we just made and turning it into a polypeptide. And the main players in that are going to be ribosomes, the mRNA we just made, like I said, and then tRNA. And tRNA, transfer RNA, its job is going to be interpreting because during translation, we are changing from one language, the language of nucleotides, into the language of amino acids and the polypeptides. So we have tRNA, which is made in the nucleus. It's transcribed. And there's a tRNA specific to each amino acid, 20-something amino acids. I don't really remember, and I don't really care the exact number off the top of my head because I have better things to do with my life. Um, there might actually just be 20. Let's just say there's 20. 20-ish. That way, if I'm slightly wrong, I'm still right because I'm always right. So we have 20-ish different tRNAs because we have 20-ish different amino acids. And on the tRNA, there's this thing called an anticodon. What the anticodon does, um, it's three nucleotides and it's complementary to a codon. And a codon I skipped earlier, but what it is, it is just three consecutive bases found on an mRNA molecule and a codon specifies a single amino acid. So the tRNA and the mRNA have complementary segments called the codon on the mRNA and the anticodon on the tRNA, and that's how it's going to translate this whole process. That's how the tRNA is going to know what amino acid is necessary. And within the ribosome, we have three different areas, three different sites. That's what I'm trying to think of. Fuck. Three different sites for this translation process to a... Let's see. I just tripped all over my fucking words and professional John should go back and edit that out. I'm on fall break recording this, so I'm not going to do that. So you just get to enjoy this awkward little section here in the middle. And I'm going to get back at it. So ribosomes, they have three different sites where translation is going to occur. They have the A site, the P site, and the E site. Yes, I fucking know it spells ape. So calm down. Okay, the A site stands for the amino acyl tRNA binding site. I just think of it as the amino site. The P site is the peptidyl tRNA binding site. It's the polypeptide site. And then the E site is the exit site. I think of it as the exit site. So you have the amino site, the polypeptide site, and the exit site. And it goes in that order. So what happens first is every single polypeptide starts off with the same amino acid. It starts off with methionine. So it looks for the start codon. The start codon, AUG, is what codes for methionine. And the small subunit of the ribosome, because there's a small and the large, the small binds to the start codon and mRNA. 
And that brings, or that allows a tRNA carrying methionine to attach to the P site on the large subunit, and then the large subunit attaches. So the very first step happens actually in the P site, in the polypeptide site, not in the amino site. But from that point on, what's going to happen is one of the codons, or the codons, one at a time, it's a better way to say it, um, are going to be read by the amino site. And a tRNA is going to match to that codon in the A site. And then we're going to form a peptide bond um, between that amino acid in the A site and the polypeptide or the growing peptide in the P site. And then the whole thing's going to shift down. Where the A, whatever's in the A site is now in the P site, whatever's in the P site is now in the E site, and whatever's in the E site gets kicked out. See you fucking later. Deuces, gooses, hit the road. Nice to know ya. And then the whole process starts starts over again. So in the A site, it's checking to make sure that anticodon matches to the codon, making sure it has the right amino acid. When it does, we are forming that peptide bond between the new amino acid and the peptide in the P site. And it all shifts down, and then what was in the P site gets kicked out of the E site, and a new one is able to come into the now empty A site. Repeats over and over until you hit a stop codon. And what a stop codon does, instead of having an amino acid, it has a release factor. And it releases the polypeptide, and that polypeptide is done. Now this could be happening at multiple places on a single chunk of mRNA, so you can have translation happening in a couple different places at once, or it can just happen once. In prokaryotes, it can be happening, translation can be happening as transcription is still finishing up, so it can be a simultaneous process. Um, but with this polypeptide, sometimes it needs to form and fold into its final shape because as we know, shape is very important for function. Structure is very important for function. So there's these proteins called chaperonins. Again, real fucking name, chaperonin, um, that basically produce the right microenvironment for the polypeptide to fold into its final orientation. So we do have two different types of ribosomes that are capable of doing this translation stuff. We've got free ribosomes, um, floating around in the cytoplasm, those make proteins that stay in the cytosol. And then we have bound ribosomes on the rough ER, and those are going to make proteins that are part of the endomembrane system. So again, that's the ER and the Golgi and all that stuff, or going to make proteins that are responsible for being secreted. Okay. Now this brings us to what happens when things go wrong to mutations. So this process we've been talking about of transcription and translation, mutations don't happen at that stage. They just, the effects of them are felt in that stage. The mutations happen in DNA, but we feel the effects of those mutations in transcription or in translation. Because what a mutation is, it's the change in the genetic material of a cell. That's the fucking DNA. Um, they can be small mutations, like point mutations, where we're affecting one base pair, maybe two 
nucleotides, three at most, um, but a very small number, or they can be large um, chromosomal mutations that are really serious. Um, so with our mutations, let's focus on the point mutations first, and we can talk a little bit about um, chromosomal mutations at the end. But with our point mutations, we can have substitutions, we can have insertions, we can have deletions, um, substitutions, insertions, deletions. I think that's everything. Insertions, deletions. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, there's four um, chromosomal ones we'll talk about. So with substitution, well, all of these, their names tell you what the fuck they are. Substitution, you switch one out. Insertion, you add one. Deletion, you delete one. But with our substitutions, where we're replacing one with the other, because we're not changing the number of nucleotides, we can have a silent mutation where absolutely nothing fucking happens that has to do with the redundancy of the genetic code. So they're silent, where it's the exact same amino acid um, that the new strand codes for, even though it's different than the original strand. We can have a missense mutation where the base that gets substituted codes for a different amino acid. So it's this, um, we call that missense because it's a slightly different or a totally different amino acid. And the nonsense mutation is where it's no longer coding for an amino acid, it's coding for a stop codon. Those are fucking serious. No bueno, the nonsense mutations. Okay. Now, insertions and deletions, they form frame shift mutations, which again, no bueno, because they are gonna change every amino acid after the site of the mutation. Here's an insertion, you're shifting everything down. You've gotta keep that reading frame of three nucleotides exactly the same. That's why they call it the frame shift. And deletion does the, the opposite. Okay, you've gotta shift everything down one, or up one, or left one, or right, whatever. You know, you gotta keep the groups of three the fucking same. If you change the number of nucleotides, you're gonna change how those things are read. Um, so, with our chromosomal mutations, we can have um, like four main types. I don't really consider non-disjunction to be a mutation. I know some people do. Non-disjunction is where chromosomes fail to separate. I think we've talked about that already. So I don't really consider that, you know, whatever floats your boat. But we have duplications, where a big chunk of the chromosome is duplicated. We have inversion, where a big chunk of the chromosome is backwards. So you can see how that could cause some issues. Um, Large-scale deletions, where a huge fucking chunk of the chromosome gets deleted. You have translocation, which is a fun one, where parts of one chromosome inserts itself into a second chromosome, and shit can go wrong real fast with that. But that's about it. I just um, in the PowerPoint found in the show notes, there's some summary at the end. Um, if you want a fucking summary, listen to this on like four times the speed, and that's your short summary. There you fucking go. So, that has been transcription and translation. I do not fucking remember what comes next. 
I'm going to have to look it up, but it's going to be something fun because it always is here on Biology for Bastards. I need to do some shout outs. We've got a whole bunch of Bastards of the Week. We've got Megan shouting us out on Twitter. Thank you. We have my entire sixth hour class who discovered this podcast during school this week. Um, thanks for listening and making me like four cents each. You owe me. And yeah, let's just leave it with those. Sixth hour, Megan, I think vegan running something on Twitter. You know, I would learn by now to look this up before I do my shout outs, but I don't because I just fly by the seat of my pants. Hey, vegan running mom. So go follow her. Megan's pretty cool. She's a mom, a distance runner, a vegan, lover of coffee. Who the fuck isn't? But, you know, nothing against you, Megan. You're pretty awesome. Thanks for the follow. Thanks for the shout out. Appreciate it. Um, so we'll wrap this up. I'll stop rambling. Our intro and outro music is the song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and be the bastard of the week. We're at, at bio for bastards. Um... And until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at bio for bastards. Um, our intro and outro music is feeling good by purple planet music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.